Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. We're really towards the end of the of the second book of second chapter of Shmot. Um, I believe I, I know we haven't done the Rashi yet on chapter on verse twenty four of chapter two. I think we read the verse, um, and I certainly want to read the verse again. And this verse is kind of a part of a, a, a two or three two a, a two verse couplet that we've been focusing on, particularly the synonyms for crying out and geshrying, right? Like uh, Eskimos have many words for snow. The Jews have a lot of verbs for complaining and gesh- and, and 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 reaching out. So. In the previous verse, verse 23, maybe they groaned, they cried, their cry went up um, to God. And now in our verse, uh, so that's where we'll start. God heard their na'ak, which is hard to distinguish between from their shava and their za'ak and their anach, right? They even sound like they're almost onomatopoeic. God heard their na'ak, and Rashi will help us understand what he what that word means, but we know what it means in context. Vayuskor, Elohim Prito, we definitely read this, but read again. And um, God remembered God's covenant. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that this is one of the verses in the Zichronot section of uh, Musaf on Rosh Hashanah, but someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, he the breed, the covenant that God had made with Abraham, with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Okay, so let's linger on that verse a bit before we look at Rashi. Rashi is uh, interested in two things in that verse, but that doesn't limit us to what we could be interested in. So uh, I should have called on someone to read. I didn't. I'll call on someone to read the Rashi, but let's linger here. Things that this verse brings up in you, curiosities <clears throat> that need to be um, highlighted, who's... who's Who's got something to say? Rick, Bakasha. Hi, good morning. Um, I just wanted, at the very end of uh, the last time we met, I noticed that uh, God gets four verbs on what he's doing in the scene, um, which kind of matches now um, the four uh, different ways that we cry out. So just thought I'd throw that out there. And can you enumerate those for us? Oh, uh, in 24, Vaishma, God Vaishmas, and then he Vaishkors, and then um, Vayar in the next sentence, and Vayeda, and then the scene's over, right? Yeah, that's that's a lovely, I think you mentioned this last time also, that's a lovely read, and it can only be picked up if you bike through a neighborhood and not drive through a neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. This identifying for synonyms first for the Israelites crying out to God. And I, I could have read those verses a hundred times and not seen what you just saw. And that there are four verbal ways God responds. Wonderful. Um, Tova and then Barry. Um, I guess I was struck and have been struck before by the order of we groan, we complain, we cry out, and then God remembers uh, and we see it here again. And what it's suggesting to me this time is that our relationship to God is one of interaction where something needs to come from, from us before something or in simultaneously with something coming from God. And uh, so it's not uh, that God is somehow not knowing or not hearing, but it requires something from us too before the connection can be made. Wonderful. There's a famous midrash that I think Rashi picks up on. We're going to hit it in a chapter two that zooms in on that very idea, Torah. That, like, can ask it on several levels. Why does the Torah present a God who doesn't respond to God's chosen people's distress until they cry out at a certain volume? Right? It's just like spinal tap. This one goes to 11. Like their cries had to get to an 11 before God, the beneficent God, realized that they're in trouble. Right? Is that, is that, is that, why is that the model of divinity that seems to be present in the pshat? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you can ask that question like on, a, on, on why the text presents it that way. And then you can also ask it inside. Why does God not respond until then? Right? That's, a, that's a subtly different question. That's inside the text. The larger question is, 
why, why is that the divine image? Or you're, you're actually already presenting a really sophisticated answer to it, which is that the, the, the divine, the relationship between the divine and the Jew as laid on the Torah is not one of um, d d divine intervention every time we have a boo-boo, but, 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 a, but a call and response that's nonlinear, mm -hmm. but re re relies on our being an active relationship and active volume. So you, you've, so lovely answer. And then just to build back these great questions as to why that is, why that is present. Um, Barry, Norm, Rachel, Elon. That was exactly the same subject that Tova said it really beautifully. So I pass. Thanks, Barry. Norm, Rachel. I, I think that it's entirely possible that God didn't know until he heard that the idea that God knows all um, did not yet exist in the time of the Torah mm. um, and is a much later development. And it's not at all clear that God really does know all, all the time. Um, everything is probably knowable by him, but I don't think he knows everything all the time. Um, same thing with him being all-powerful. It's just not altogether clear that he is all-powerful all the time. Yeah. So what I really appreciate what you're saying, Norm, is that, what's that book, The, the History of God, right? That God and our sense of God has developed over time, including as we continue to read and reread and reread a text that is core, but didn't always mean to the original readers what it means now, right? The classic Midrashic response to God saying to Adam, Ayeka, where are you, is, of course, God knows where Adam is. This is a way of asking Adam, like, where, you know, where, where is your, where's your soul? But that doesn't mean that an earlier uh, generation of readers of the ancient text could have come from the perspective that said, God, maybe God does not know where Adam is, right? The, the omniscience and the omnipresence of the divine is not a certain it's, it's not an absolute requirement for reading this text. So uh, you're, you're, you're positing there might be a very uh, earlier pre-omniscient and pre-omnipotent sense of the divine um, that is present in the text. And we certainly see that in the moments where God makes mistakes and God has regret and God is very fallible, extremely fallible. So we might be seeing some of like the, 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 this, this, this early mixture of what the divine can be um, and in one of these, in, in one view, God actually does not know a person's distress until you, till they call out. And that is actually not a bad model for how to be in relationship, right? That anyone who's ever been blamed or been held responsible for that, which they didn't know, but they didn't know they didn't know it. Right? That's a, that's a very, that's a very frustrating place to be in, in a relationship, to be held accountable for not knowing what you didn't know, but you didn't know. Not noticing what you didn't notice. Um, okay, uh, Elon, and then Dan, Larry, and then Sue. I actually have a, uh, a darker and more troubling reading of this verse, which is um, God as egotistical, meaning that God, <clears throat> if God knows what's going on, God realizes that the children of Israel are distressed but he needs them to ask for help, right? So, so that he, uh, it, it's almost so that they they understand the quid pro quo, like they're, they're and and it's 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 more like God is a mafia don, right? <laughs> and it's, uh, it's it's troubling. In rabbinical school, we learn the psychological paradigms of transference and countertransference, right? And so, transference is when, you know, uh, either a patient to a doctor or a congregant to a rabbi will assume. That the, that the doctor or the rabbi is, is kind of critically needed um, in a perhaps beyond a healthy boundary in a certain um, moment in someone's life. And countertransference is the doctor or the rabbi liking it, right? Liking that level of being needed and therefore feeding the transference because it's good to be, it, it's, it's, it's good to be considered a hero, right? Um, we're certainly going to see a version of that, Elon, or we, we certainly can choose to read it upcoming scenes, upcoming probably years from now, given our pace, when we have to ask, we're going to ask this question so much because there's been so many, so many chapters on it. Why did it take 10 plates? What, what, what is in it for God to continually to punish the Egyptians when God could have just plucked the Israelites out? Certainly in one plague, right? Didn't he, like, what, what, what's, 
what is God, what is the God figure gaining from the drama and the repetition of being able to show God's might? Is God showing God's might to the Egyptians? Is God showing God's might to the Israelites? Is God showing God might to God's self? So um, that's, that's evocative of what we're going to get into. And those are really important moral questions, particularly because we are going to be thinking about it, I hope, also from the perspective of the innocent Egyptians who are caught up in the pharaonic punishments. Uh, Larry, Diane, and Sue. So most of what I'm going to say, I'm taking from Alter. Um, he comments on the similarity between, in verse 23, which is a verb, and nakatam, which he says are very similar, even though they don't sound very similar. And he says that he translates, but so does, so does JPS, the two words very similarly, groaning and moaning. And they ring better in English than they do in Hebrew. Yeah. Which is usually the opposite over there. Right. You're saying even, uh, even in English, the groan-moan similarity suggests the, the, the synonym, like how, how close of a synonym they are. Yeah. So secondly, this is way, way out there. Na'aka, <clears throat> uh, for whatever reason, I heard nakba which obviously is Arabic and not Hebrew. I don't even know in Hebrew if you write Nakba with an ayin or with an aleph um, between the nun and the, and the kuf, and you've got the bet. The Nakba means, I think, disaster. So it's um, somewhat similar in terms of resonance. But the main thing I wanted to, to, to indicate goes back to what I think Rick said, and I apologize, Rick, that I didn't, didn't follow completely I think it was Rick was saying that there were four ways that the Israelites cried out and four ways in which God responded, or am I, I may be completely wrong. But he's, he can answer for himself, but I, if he's not yet unmuted, what I think he said is that, is that in verse 24 yeah, kinda. and verse 25, we're going to have four verbs where God is the subject, Vaishma, Vaiskor, Vayar, Vayeda, which can be a mirror to the four syn mostly synonymous ways of referring to the Israelites crying out. Right. And Alter talks about those four, and especially the last, which we'll, which we'll get to. But I was troubled, and I think we talked about this last week a little bit, about the Yisfor, like God forgot, and he remembered. We talked about the different ways of remembering and forgetting, and I don't want to rehash that. But Alter has a very interesting thing to say that um, – the score is more of in the sense of to take to heart as opposed to remembering something that you forgot. So God took to heart this crying out. Yeah, I remember we looked at several different translations and it was really, it was really a, a lovely way of thinking about what the whole concept of remembering even means, right? And like, first of all, the, the, disti the distinction between the Hebrew score and the English to remember because there's no two words in two different languages that mean the same thing. But what do we even think the word remember means? And remember can mean something that you actually, before you remembered it, you had forgotten it. You didn't know it, right? You remembered the answer to a question that you had forgot, once forgotten, or something you had forgotten it, you just wasn't in the forefront of your mind. You recalled it. It's between recalling and remembering, right? So um, th th those are interesting uh, uh, word and thought adventures, what the word remember even means. And, and and how much of our sense of the English remembering versus recall is built into the Hebrew values core. And when we talked about how common it is, not that common, that the Torah divides between not forgetting and remembering as if those are two different parts of, of the mental process. Um, great, Sue? Um, yeah, or remind, you know, I mean, it's the same in Hebrew actually to remind somebody, remind people. Right. Um, and I'm kind of, I'm sorry, you may have talked about this last week, but um, I think it's, it, it's all kind of in the, in the yeast core. It's the, the yeast core from what, like we just have been saying, um, uh, that, that if God is reminded, then something had to precede that on the reminding. Um, and also as a horse sort of always Packed for us as a you know shamor v'zahor, we have to do something for the reminding and the preserving. 
it's um, I, th- I forgot who said it earlier, but um, it's oh, Elon said that they had to call out. They needed to ask for help. You need to it, it, do an action to invoke the the Yiskor thing. Yes, um, and it's true on, in both directions. Yeah, great. Thank you, Sue. Rick, and then we'll look at the Rashi. Um, just one more thing on remembering and knowing. Um, as a tour reader, it's like, yeah, it's in my head. I just have to be able to remember the sequence in in the verse in front of me, I, the, uh, the trope and all that. So, um, it's um, it, it's you don't have to forget to remember. It's just it's like you remember your birthday, you remember your social security number. You've never forgotten. You you just know what it is. So. And and then there's no at the end, so we I think we need to separate Vayis Kor from Vayeda. Um, when is it knowing and when is it not knowing? And it's it's there's a lot there. Right. Not to mention how we should understand the biblical knowing, because the biblical knowing is a more intimate knowing, even not when the biblical knowing refers to a sexual knowing. Right. The biblical knowing can be a sexual knowing, but even when it's not that. Right. Vayida Adam et Chava Yishto that Adam knew his wife Eve, that's a sexual knowing, but it, even when it doesn't specifically refer to the sexual act, there's an intimacy to the, to the, to the root yud dalad ayin that is just different than the English word no. You know, the, the, to, you know, to English word no is, is from the word, you know, that, you know, that the ken, something that's within your ken, it's, it's literally something that you have the mental capacity to, 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 um, to hold on to. That's very different than whatever Yodea means. And Rashi is going to play with that also because Rashi wants to make sense of what Vayeda Elohim means at the end of this string. But well, that's, that's the next verse. Okay, so um, Rick, since you're the last one who spoke, do you want to read the Rashi? On uh, sure, sure. On Nakatam? Yeah. Right. So Okay, so the first thing he does is define. You reader may not know this root, nun alakuf. I'll bring it into a root that you know well, sayin, sadi, ayin kuf. And uh, that also, I, I don't think they're etymologically connected, but they might be alliteratively connected, right? Naak and saak, even if it's an alak versus an ayin. Um, we have shown how certain times the second, the, the second two letters of Hebrew roots or even, or even the second sound of a two-syllable Hebrew root are part of a genus of, of roots. So he says, na'ak is tsa'ak. And what does tsa'akatam mean, Rick? Leonard, do you want to put in on that at all, Mr. Word Guy? Well, what is it? They seem kind of far apart since uh, the, there's only one letter in common. Yeah. That's, what, that's probably why they're not literally etymologically connected, but they're like groan and moan also are not from the same etymology, but they, it, it, does, it, it makes sense that they mean something similar. So na'ak and sa'ak at the end of their um, word, similar, similar to groan and moan, not the same shoresh, but the same idea. Right? If you think about how, think about how language developed, like the letters and the shoreshim came much later than the meaning of the sounds. Like they'll go way back. Like these are sounds uttered by human beings 20, 50, 70,000 years ago that, that suggested a certain feeling. And then ex post facto, they got attached to a series of letters. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if even pre-etymology, the reason why the sound na'ak and the reason why the sound sa'ak mean the same thing um, is not coincidence. But having said all of that, Rick, what does Leeds Oak mean, sa'akatam? V'chein me'ir... Very hello. What just de- just define? What oh, is oh, Zakatam is uh, their cries. Their cry, their cry. Oh, just a cry, or in in modern Hebrew, it's actually to shout, but uh, here it means to like a cry. And now he's and now, now that it's plural though, isn't it? Is it yeah. their their cry singular or their cries? Uh, it's a that's a that's a good question. The they is plural, but the um, the thing that is theirs is singular. Their cry. It's not, yeah. otherwise it would be tsa'akotehem or na'akotehem. Coats, yeah, right. The, oh, right. So um, now that Rashi has taken an obscure verb and rendered it as an easy verb, easier, he's going to give you some, um, uh, like a proof text, right? This is what Rashi does when Rashi um, 
right? helps define a, a, a root. He's going to tell you that this is one of the places where I know that this is what this word means. So now he's going to give you the chain. Um, it looks like may ear, but I have a dot on top of the yud. May e your, is that, that right? Be, that might be a misprint. I don't know. Yeah, matim. So that there's no dot on on yours. May ear, matim yin aku, and that's from Job verse uh, chapter twenty. 24. So let me share with you my screen so you can see it. Okay. Um, Job is a, is a great text. One day I'll teach a class in the book of Job. I've studied Job, but I've never really taught Job in any systemic way. Um, my ear, yeah. So here's the verse. Chapter 24 of the book of Job, Eov, verse 12. You know the basic story of Eov. Someone tested, someone's faith tested by a series of calamities. And um, here we get this verse. We don't, we don't need to really go into the context of this verse. This is really an etymological search. Meir metim inaku, that um, from the city, in the city, metim. It doesn't refer here to dead people. It refers to like, like numbers of people, yinaku. So there's our root, nun alefkuf. And here it seems pretty obvious that what are those metim doing in the city? They are gishrayim, they're groaning. Benefesh chalalim tishavea. By the way, we had the, we had shavatam. Yeah. Correct, right. So same root. The, the, uh, the nefesh chalalim, the souls of those who, who were about to be corpses. The halal is a corpse, right? So those who are almost near corpses, tishavea, cry out. The Eloha and God lo yasim tefila does not. Um, it's interesting how it's translated here. Does not regarded as a reproach. One could also read this root, this word, to, this sentence to mean God does not pay attention to their prayer. I don't know why this translation is reading it that way, but this is not a Job class. But here's a, a use of Nun Aleph Kuf as another parallel to Shin Vav Ayin, which is a more uh, understandable root. And Rashi has, you know, resolved the fact that he can pretty easily turn Na'ak into Tsa'ak. Okay, so... Um, let's hear from Barry and then we'll have Rick read the last little piece of the Rashi. Uh, and I also want to commend um, Norm's comment, right? That Sa'akatam uh, or Na'akatam could be understood as a, a, a unified cry, or at least that God heard it as a unified. Um, so I'm just uh, curious about the uh, progression of words. Um, uh, 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 they moaned, and then Isaku, and they cried, and Vatal uh, Shalatam, and and their their plea uh, rose up. Yes. So yes. We, we go from uh, English is a moaning to crying to pleading, and and then hearing. So what does that progression uh, mean to you? Uh, there's there's a a, a personal uh, in, internal feeling, which gets expressed out uh, uh, from body, uh, and then uh, and then an interaction, a, 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 a an acknowledgement of God, and, and pl placing their 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 sense to God. But first, it's it's, it's a human experience, divorced divorced from. But but then a, re a renewal of connection to God, and, and then God hears. Thank you, thank you, Barry, Marshall, and then Rebecca. Um, the the midrash actually says why why is it that we're selecting the verse from from Job, and not from Yechezkel, uh, Yechezkel chapter thirty verse twenty four, where they have a have a similar phrase. And there it makes ref reference specifically to the Chalalim, actually people who are dead. And I think it, uh, it echoes what you were saying, Rabbi Clickfeld, that these are people who are not yet dead, the Matim, as opposed to the uh, Chalalim. Which is a more apt analog to the Israelites, right? They're, they're not yet dead. I think we just have unintentionally quoted Monty Python, not dead yet. Yeah. Um, but they're but they're suffering, and they're if we need to reach out to God. Yeah, the actual the actual part of the translation of that phrase from uh, Yechezkel was, "He shall groan as a slain groan before me." 
Okay. And that's why the symbolic groan of the slain, as it were. Yeah, and that's why the word, but uh, the E of selection is used instead of the um, the Cheskel section. That's great, really great. Um, okay, Rebecca and then Joel. Um, I wanted to make two comments about the about reading the Hebrew the way I understood it. Um, one thing is about Nakatam, which I. Um, which sounds just like the word for a she-camel, naka. Hmm. And if, uh, if you ever hear a camel crying out, it's pretty intense. So that word may come from that, actually. Yeah. You know it's spelled the same way, Rebecca? I don't know that word. You know naka. That? It's with an aleph. Yeah, it's, wow. it, I believe it's spelled the same. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. I, I'll Google later to check if I can find a video that you can hear a camel cry. But... Um, I've heard I've heard the sound. It's pretty. It sounds pretty intense. So that might come from there. Hmm. The other the other thing I noticed was when um, when we read the Rashi. So my first understanding of the Job was um, Meir as in uh, waking up. So Meir Metim hmm. as in they they cried so hmm. loudly that it woke up. Good woke the dead so i don't and i don't know if that fits in with the rest of the job as well if it makes sense but um that's where i went with my uh look in look at it quickly mm. and I, I i i see what you're saying meir metim could very well be read as the one who awakens the dead you know cool. they, they they cried out a a, a a dead awakening type of a cry I don't know that it's Pshat, but but we don't know what Pshat is, right? Because the, none of these books comes with come with uh, exact explanations. So that's great. Um, okay, Joel, Marshall, Rebecca, Leonard, and then I'm going to read Sajig on for you, and then we're going to have Rick or the next Rashi. So just on the Na'akatam and the uh, communal cry, it, it reminded me of the other classic literature um horton here's a who yes um so you know they were all crying out separately but it took this one last cry to, to bring it to the surface and to make it actually be heard mm. and it's, it ends up being evocative so if 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 god hears the cry of many as one in this scene it brings us ahead to sinai where the israelites heard god's single voice as many Right, there's a classic midrash on that, based on the, on the grammar of the verse, but that every Israelite heard revelation as if God was speaking directly to him or to her. So God spoke once, but it was broken up the way light is refracted into you know, 600,000 individual revelations. So in that way, you went from a singularity to a multiplicity. And here God is hearing a multiplicity as a singularity. Uh, Marshall or Rebecca Lynn, I forgot who I called on. Marshall, you're unmuted, so go ahead. Yeah, uh, I just want to do a deliberate misreading of the text for the uh, word na'akatam. Yeah. Because uh, I know you've spoken in the past about two-letter roots. So I, I like the root uh, nun and kuf, where I think of the word yonek, to, to suckle. Mm. That in effect, uh, they're calling out, and God hears their, uh, their voices, to be suckled again, in effect, to provide nurturance to them. And then he says, I remember, God remembered the covenant which he had with Abraham and so forth. Again, it's a deliberate misreading of the text, but I, I'm playfully reading it that way. Great. And Rebecca, you were absolutely right. Nun Aleph Kuf Hay is a female camel. I've never heard that word before. Fascinating. Um, Reb, Sue and then Rebecca Leonard. You're still muted, Sue. Okay, I got the camel, and it's unbelievable. Thank you, Rebecca. Okay, can you guys see this as a camel? Here we go. God, does that add... Add texture to this to this verse. Thank you so much for that, Rebecca and Sue. That was that's 
it really does change the way we hear that. Um, and it'll be even more interesting when we leave Sajja Gaon in a second. Uh, Rebecca Leonard? I don't know, that sounded more like a shofar to me, but uh, the word uh, metim means people or men. And there's a there's a related words to it in Akkadian and Ugaritic. But what I thought was interesting, it's actually the plural of the word metu, and which only appears that way as the first element in various names, such as Metushalach, Methuselah. Hmm. Hmm. That um, that Metushalach is built from Metu and Shalach, and Metu meaning men or man. Yes. Maybe he was a messenger, Metushalach, the man who was sent. Um, thank you for that. Before Rick reads the second Rashi, those of you who are working out of our volume, if you look at the top right, and you see how Sajigaon comments in, so Rasag, that's the first one on the top right, Rabbi Sajigaon, uh, earlier than Rashi, I believe, uh, in Egypt. Na'akatam Bechi Chozer, recurring and ongoing crying. So that's how he reads Na'akatam, which you could attach to a camel's recurring cry. And very, very different than that, if you look at Sforno, which is um, third down on the left, Vaishmalohim and Na'akatam, so Sforno's Italian commentator in the 16th century, uh, God heard their Na'ak, Tfilat Kitsotam, something about like the prayer, a, a kates is an end or a, or, or the, a limit. The, the, I'm not sure exactly what he means by 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 um, uh, katsotam, the prayer of their limits, the prayer at the end. I'm not sure what he means by that. But shahid palalu az sadikehador, that the righteous people of that generation prayed out, and that's what God heard. So Sforno hears it as a tefillah, a prayer. Sajigaon hears it as a deep, primal, recurring female camel-like. Uh, like cry, and we get to choose which what we literally hear in our minds when this verse is read out. L um, Larry and Diane, is the pasuk kitzatam be like kitzat, a, a small? I thought about that. Like you're saying, like the prayer of just a few of them. Kitzat. Yeah. Okay. That 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 that, that even makes more sense than I was thinking about a small prayer, but a prayer with a, of a few of them, right? Kitzatam. Can I make like, another comment? Since you yeah, mentioned you mentioned Eitz Chaim, yeah, Chaim, uh, it's just I, I'm always amazed at the layout, and I don't know if they did with the computers or what, or it, the way in which this text is laid out on every page, and some of it's spilling over. But on this page, on Kaf Bet, I got confused because for the only time that I've seen both Ramban and Chizkuni are on both columns. I was looking for Chizkuni on this on this one, which I'm not going to talk about yet. <laughs> and it's just, it's just, I'm just admiring the layout, but yeah. it did confuse me on this one page. But ha on a particular verse, if Ramban happens to have a really long comment, what do the editors do, right? Well, they usually spill over to the next page, right. and then every once in a while, as you know, there's just that page of commentary with no text to catch up, type of thing. But it's on my, it's, on my shelf in my office which is very far from right now, I have an annotated um, uh, book on just Sforno's commentary on Humash. So if I had access to that, I could I could really decipher. Um, it's a pointed, annotated version of Sforno. I could decipher what Tfilat Ketsotam is, uh, but I, I don't have that in front of me. Uh, so we have to leave that uh, ambiguous. Uh, Barry, and then we're going to get to Rick. I promise you, Rick, you're still up. So Sforno's use of tefillah that uh, brings back the, this progression of words I was mentioning before. The the, the Israelite this the, this is the first time they are praying. They they, they are remembering to God. Mm. That's the key. Now God can hear them. Very. And thank you. First of all, welcome again, and thank you, Robert, for that last comment in the group. Um, uh, some of you may remember Robert with us before. Some. It's appropriate that you're here today, Robert. You missed the introduction. You may even recognize this room. I'm now in Woodbridge, Connecticut, uh, in a house that you have been to many times. Um, kind of st stuck here for an extended trip before I go back to Los Angeles because of the COVID numbers. 
Uh, and it's always great to have you as part of this class and love to, I send love to your family. I, I, I did hear you. Uh, I did hear you say that I was actually watching on the on the um, Facebook part of it. And I was like, damn, why can't I comment? But I did say, welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Robert. Okay, Rick, um, this is going to be a Rashi where it's a very short Rashi. And then the puzzle is um, what's Rashi's question? Before that? Yes. Um, I noticed the word tefillah in the Job uh, at the end. Yeah, it was Yasim. Can you put that back up again? Yep. Yasim Tefillah. I was going to ask and then I'd let it go. And then since we're talking about it again, the prayer. Hold on. Um, yeah, one second. There it is. Okay. Meir Matim Yenaku, Benefesh Chalalim Tishaveya, Veloha Lo Yasim Tefillah. Yeah, Yasim is to put, right? Or, um, one, does, one of the in modern Hebrew, it's to put. It can also mean to. It's somehow this verb in this sentence has something to do with pay attention to, regard, and consider. Um, so it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to decipher. It doesn't help with the uh, praying over here. Thought there might be a connection. Same kind of deal. Yeah. Crying out, praying. Okay. All right, read the next one. Yeah. Um, right. There's there's a comment from the editor here from Silverman, too. But anyway, it's um, et brito et Avraham and uh, im Avraham, right? So um, that um, the et really is im with. Right. So let me read you what the editor did here. Um, Before you read bring, that, just turn that into English. So what has oh. you said? Um, Rashi's trying to uh, explain the use of the word et here, that um, God remembered his covenant, Brito, et Avraham, et Yitzchak. Why is it et instead of im? Good. So Rashi's reminding us that in biblical Hebrew, et, um, and we have this as a, as a vestige in how we do um, with someone in Hebrew, iti, with me, itcha, with you. We have the reminder that originally you could say with as im and as et. So what does et Avraham mean? It means with Avraham. My question for all of you, and I want you to think about this as you're reading what you're going to read, Rick, is what what's Rashi's question on the verse? Because I don't think his question can only be what does et mean? Does that, Rashi's verse question cannot be does et mean with? Because we've been told that many times already. Yeah. So what is it about this verse that makes Rashi point out this et meaning with when he does not point out that every et means with because he knows that we know it because we've been listening to him. Joel, what's your what's your thought? I think what you're getting at is he's giving an example of reminding that we already know that et means im, but this uh -huh. is an example of I'm just reminding you. I'm I'm bringing it back to the forefront of your mind. I wasn't getting at that, but I like that. Got it. Got it. Uh, Rashi is playing the part of what it means to remember something you've forgotten. Rick, what do you got on the note there? Okay, so um, in parentheses, it's, uh, for example, the word et means with, in, in quotations, whilst in the preceding phrase, mm. et brito, it is the sign of the accusative. So I right. need uh, help with that, um, like the accusative form. The accusative okay. is a high grammar way of referring to a direct object. I remember that if you ever studied oh. Okay, so just direct object. Okay, all right. So what that comment gets at, and I think it's actually absolutely right, is that it's not that Rashi needs to tell us that et can also mean im, because we know that. But what Rashi notices in this verse, you've got phrases in a row where et is used in both ways. By his core Elohim, et brito, et Avraham, you could wonder, well, I know that et sometimes is the accusative, and sometimes it means with, but does it mean two different things in such close succession? And the answer is yes. Don't read this verse as God remembered his covenant and remembered Abraham and remembered Isaac and remembered Jacob, which you could read plausibly. Read it as God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Huge difference in meaning? No. But Rashi wants to disabuse us of the notion that F can't mean both of its meanings in close succession in reverse. So going back one more, et na katam, is, yeah. is it with 
the people's cries that God is hearing? Is he with us when we're praying or is it the direct object? Is it the other way? So uh, Larry, Diane, and then Norm, Rachel. So, so it's a very peculiar sentence because of all the ets. And I know Larry's going to say something too, but just the et Abraham, et Yitzchak, et Yaakov, you wonder why it's necessary to divide those three personages in this way. It would have been fine to say at Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, or something like that, but it's like they're separated. And I'm reminded when we do the imahot in, um, uh, in the Shmon Esrei, that people are very careful to separate Rachel um, uh, Leah so that we don't think about them in the same breath. And here it's like, it's saying something about how we need to think about them as separate people. I'm reminded of a bunch of memes that are going on out there right now about the Oxford comma and how the presence or the absence of that last comma really changes how we associate or don't associate the last two things in a phrase, right? So, so this is like the Oxford comma on, on speed. This is like every one of them is getting their own et. They're getting their own accusative direct object linker. Um, great. And sometimes, uh, a, sometimes a preposition, which is complicated to begin with, can serve a different role. And that's, I threw my hands up because Rick said what I, what, what, what I thought, which is the, the five ets, not the four. If you start with uh, the et na'akatan, yes. it's, it's as if the pasuk is saying to us, et na'akatan, Et Brito, Et Abraham, Et Yitzchak, Et Yaakov. It's, it's telling us, put these five things together. The cry connected to the Brit, and the Brit is coming from the, the, the three patriarchs. Yeah. And another Et in the next sentence, and another Et in the other sentence. And sometimes an Et is just an Et. And Larry, you appreciate that sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Um, but, but the succession is really interesting. Rachel Norm? I just thought that since Brissot, his covenant is, is a singular, that it would have implied one covenant with Abe, Izzy, and Jack. But instead, we have these three of them listed separately because he adds to the covenant with Yitzhak, and again, he adds to the covenant with Yaakov. Yeah. So it isn't, you know, it, it may be one covenant with the Jewish people, but really there is more than one part of it which makes the, those ets yet more powerful. My covenant with Avraham, it's almost like you have to bring back my covenant. If you really want to translate it the way the ets suggest the translation, God remembered God's covenant with Abraham and God's covenant with Isaac and God's covenant with Yaakov. That it's not just as if they were like different formulations of the, of the Brit. Great. Okay. Um, that we have finished a verse for the day. Let's move to... The last verse of, of the chapter um, before we get to, it's also the last verse of the Aliyah. Sometimes there's lineup, sometimes they do not. So the 25th chapter of the book of Shemot is the last verse in the third Aliyah of Parshat, of, of Parshat Shemot. So, um, hey, uh, can I pick on? Um, is David Feldman Tali Feldman or is it David Feldman? And whoever it is, do you want to read the next verse? David Tali, do you want to read? I suppose. David Kaplan, would you read the next verse for us? You're going to choose not to? I'm, uh, I'm striking out here. Uh, Tova, will you read the next verse? Uh, Good. Another verse where we know there are no hard vocabulary words, but that doesn't mean it's an easy verse to make sense of. Okay. And God saw the children of Israel, and he, and, hmm. <laughs> right. and <laughs> and god knew <laughs> in, in a succession of verses with all these ets you want there to be other ets? What did god know what? god knew yes. it's, 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 it's an ellipsis yeah god, so that's clearly whatever yodea is it's not a data point it's not it's not a bit of, of knowledge right because otherwise there would be a, a thing that was known it's just as almost like it's a a state and God was in a knowing state, right? So the verse kind of invites different ways of understanding what your day might. Um, 
Okay, so let's pause here. Um, Rashi's gonna say one thing on that. Let's see what other people have to say or ask. Rick? Um, just the Silverman puts in their affliction in italics. So God knew, and then they put two more words, their affliction. Yeah. It could have been anything, any noun, anything, right? But uh, obviously it's trying to connect what it is. Does anybody else, um, I, I'm lacking my normal array of translations here. Does anyone else have a translation in front of them where the translation tries to fill in either in parentheses or without parentheses what was known the way um, Rick just uh, said? Yeah, Silberman adds in, in italics their affliction. Their affliction. Does anyone have the Everett Fox, Everett Fox in front of them? I would be so interested to see how he translates it. Joe's got it. Who does? Joel. I think, Joel, do you have it? Usually, I I, Renee. Renee. I thought I saw his hand go up. I have it. I'm just finding the verse. Jacob, um, JPS adds, and God took notice of them. God took notice of notice. them? Yes. Okay, that's actually very Rashiistic, as we'll see in a minute. Mm. Um, how does... Um, Everett Fox doesn't do anything special. What does he say? God saw the children of Israel, God knew, and then in the footnote it says, knew means took notice. Uh, Larry, Diane, can you read Alter's translation of that verse? Well, Alter's not interesting, because well, he is interesting because he says, and God knew. But Ari Kaplan is interesting, even more, because he says, and he, capital H, he was about to show concern. That's how he translates? Yeah. And he says... Wow. And he says, he says, look at the Targum and look at Rashi. Yeah, so it, so it, it, it definitely Rashi-like. The Targum is interesting. The, the, the Targum on the whole verse is interesting. So I want to pause there. The Targum, for those of you not, that's, that's another way of saying uncleus. Targum means translation, but when you refer to the Targum, you mean uncleus, a translation wrapped around our text. So, Vayar Elohim at B'nai Israel. Very simple Hebrew, right? God saw the people of Israel. The Targum renders an Aramaic, it turns first of all, turns an active verb into a passive verb. It was revealed, kadam adunai, in front of God. Shibuda, the oppression, the work, the uh, enslavement of the, of the children of Israel. So, the, and this is not supposed to be commentary, it's supposed to be translation. So, Uncleus translates the verb to see as representing that somehow the true reality of the enslavement of the people of Israel came in front of God's consciousness. And by the way, it's not even clear here if Uncle is, is using that phrase to translate the Vayar or the Vayeda, because the next thing he does is also off translation. Va'amar b'memrei l'mifrakhon adunai. And I, I get confused a little bit um, in the, in, the, in the actual way to translate this. Maybe, um, I think uh, Marshall has um, an uncleus commentary in front of him. He said in his, in his statement, which means to, to redeem, to save, that God basically made a, a statement or made an oath that God was going to save, something like that. Um, you know. Marshall, do you have something? Do you have a... Yeah, you, uh, the, full, the full translation that this volume has, <clears throat> the Israelite servitude was revealed before the Lord, and he said with his memra, that is his word or wisdom, that the Lord should redeem them. So we don't know which of those two parts of the uncleus phrase hmm. is attached to the seeing or the knowing. So, so sim like the, the vocabulary in this verse is rudimentary. But what it means in terms of God's yeah. reaction is really hard. Barbara, and then Barry, and then Diane and Larry. Well, it seems to me like this is becoming a higher order of God's knowing and seeing the Israelites. Yeah, he's known who they were while he met with, he gave the breed to Abraham, and he took with Noah. But somehow this is going to take us into a higher portion of our history, we're going to now be bring, dealing with Moses and what happens. And this is a higher order of knowing. A higher order of knowing. And that's, and that's the Yodea. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Barry? Uh, yeah. So similarly, uh, we're, we're seeing a, a progression, uh, uh, God's step-by-step -step progression, which we may well rec recall later with why, why 10 plagues. 
so first uh, hearing, then remembering, and, and now uh, knowing, but as you implied earlier, uh, the Yeda, uh, there's an intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now, now God is, is, is now being, being intimate with the Israelites. Yeah. And we'll see that more as Tova reads the Rashi in just a second. Give, if you can give me two extra minutes today, because I, I want to I at least read out the Rashi before we start stop class. Uh, Diane, Larry, and then Robert, and then Tova. I'll be quick. Last week, we, I think I talked about the fact that God hadn't appeared as a character in the story until now. And, and Walter makes that point. It's only in these last two verses that God is acting uh, at all. Chizkuni has an interesting comment that, that, that I think is sort of under the surface here. There are two things that God might have remembered. One was his promise to, to liberate the people after their imprisonment, enslavement for 400 years. But the other was a promise back in Bereshit to punish the Egyptians. And Cheskuni thinks that part of the, what God is remembering is to punish the Egyptians. He hears the groans of the Israelites from the taskmasters, and he's saying, hmm, i got to punish those guys for what they've done. I can't wait for your um, commentary on Cheskuni to be printed by JPS, Larry. <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to that volume. Um, Marshall, is your hand up current or from a previous one? Go ahead. Don't hear you yet, Marshall. Yes. Uh, Robert Alter has, goes into this whole question as to what Vayeda meant, uh, where he says, he says, the last of these terms, that is Vayeda, marks the end of the narrative segment with a certain mystifying tone. Note, sufficiently mystifying that the ancient Greek translators sought to, quote, correct it because mm. it has no object. God knew but what did he know? Presumably the suffering of the Israelites, the cruel oppression of history in which they are now implicated, the obligations of the covenant with the patriarchs, uh, and the plan he must undertake to liberate the enslaved people. And so the objectless verb prepares us for the divine address or address from the burning bush in the beginning of Moses' mission. Great. So the the relic, or not the relic, the, the testimony we have from certain modern comment uh, translators that some of you read out that had, that filled in the direct object of the knowledge in parentheses, you're saying that the Septuagint, the Greek translation also attempted to do. And it's interesting that Uncleus goes wild in this verse and every single commentator on our Torah Chaim page, which is just a selection of commentators, comments on Vayeda, every single one, including if you're in our book, look at the, look at the, um, the right column underneath Rasag, Rabbi Sajigon, which we see commentary uh, occasionally, we have Reish Chet, um, which stands for Rabbeinu Hananel, who is mostly known as a commentator on the Talmud. I don't know the, I don't know on a scholarly level what the what the, what, what is extant in his commentary on the Torah, but I know that every thirty or forty pages in the Torah Chaim, there's like a single comment of Rabbeinu Hananel that somehow made it, you know, made it through the centuries. And he has something to say on Vayeda. So everybody wants to know what Vayeda means. And maybe instead of, because we're already over, we'll start next week um, with first reading Rashi and then a few others that are on the page uh, as we think about what it means. We started this class by thinking about what it means to remember. And now we're going to think about what it means to know. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.